Hello, everybody. This is the next episode of the KAAMP. Uh, I'm Thomas Zachary, and this is the Knoxville Area Artist Networking Platform. And today we don't have a Knoxville creative with us. It's somebody I randomly uh, took a notion to put a question into the ether, and uh, they were receptive. And uh, now I have today Matt Baum of Atlanta, Georgia, who is, or are you the only person in the band that's all you, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a solo artist uh, at this stage in this project. So, uh, yeah. And, yeah, before we go too much further, I just wanted to thank you for, for reaching out into the ether towards me. Oh, I, I, love, cool. I love posing questions to the ether. But Matt here is and creates uh, Watch Out for Snakes, the band music. And I happen to enjoy it, and that's why I reached out into the ether. So, here we are. Matt, how you doing? doing good excellent glad to hear it so um you're not from knoxville so you're kind of outside the format of the show but i just decided it was my show and i'll do what i want so uh here we are on the phone <laughs> i really am curious about your uh workflow and and creative process because i understand almost nothing about your artistic expression and i'm genuinely curious so uh, let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, for those people that don't know, um, the style of music that I make, it's a, it's a form of electronic that I've kind of lovingly dubbed chip wave because it's a kind of a mashup of um, video game influenced chiptune music and then synth wave, which is kind of this homage, kind of like a modern homage to like some of the, the 80s retro analog like synthesizer sounds that you would hear from like different soundtracks that were by like Tangerine Dream or John Carpenter, um, like synth pop acts like Depeche Mode and uh, New Order, um, that kind of stuff. So there's been kind of like this uh, like new, new wave of, of artists that has been coming out over the last like decade or so um, that has like grown up with a lot of uh, those musicians in the 80s as like our our like initial influences and so um, a lot of my music kind of basically draws from um, from the same like 80s influences and um, and then I just kind of like work my video game influences into that as well and that's how we end up with this kind of like mashup but that I I like to kind of shorthand refer to as Mario Brothers meets Stranger Things, I guess. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, my process for that it, it's a little bit it's a little bit different because I came at it from a different a different place than a lot of people in either the chiptune or the synthwave world um, uh, came came to their their subgenres from. Um, I, I've always just really been into like minimal synth sounds, um, and so. You know, I've really just—I've been listening to a lot of. I'm trying to think who, like, some of the artists were that influenced me, like, coming into this project. There's a lot of, um, like, uh, I guess. Ooh, I should have been better prepared with this. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's there's. Just, I always have trouble with this question because there's just so many influences. It's not an easy um, question. It, I pull from, but but they. I just enjoy. 
I enjoy trying to uh, create new sounds, but not as much as I enjoy the composition aspect of things. And so um, the reason why I was drawn to like more minimal synth uh, kind of instrumentation is that it was kind of like freedom within a framework, I guess. Like when I would used to sit down and, and try and come up with um, new synth tones um, in previous projects that I'd been in, I just would tend to get overwhelmed by just the variety of different like tones that you could come up with. And it really kind of paralyzed me in a lot of ways. Um, and I found a lot of the times that I wasn't even getting to the part where I was creating and like arranging a song. It was all focused completely on, uh, you know, the synthesization portion of, of music. And that for me, you know, it's, it's fun, but it's not like where my focus where I wanted my focus to be. So, um, so I kind of landed on like this video game instrumentation, um, as both something that I had grown up with and felt like very connected to from a nostalgia point of view. Um, and, and was interested in trying to like create there, but then I also knew that, you know, a lot of those earlier video gaming systems, like the Nintendo entertainment system, uh, only, uh, had the ability to express music in like four different channels. So you have basically like two pulse waves and uh, a triangle wave and then a sample uh, channel. And that's, that's all the composers at the time had access to. And so for me, it was kind of, uh, kind of cool to, to restrict myself to that uh, because then I wasn't faced with like this limitless, uh, these limitless possibilities of, actual like sound synthesis and like it kind of freed me up to focus more on the composition side of things that makes um, sense so, uh, yeah it's like when you get uh freaked out by the blank page you know there's so many options yeah exactly so um i mean so i guess getting back to your question i mean my process um it's like I was saying, a little bit different from like other chiptune artists because a lot of chiptune artists are creating using um, hardware. So like you'll actually see uh, chiptune artists that will have like a physical Game Boy that they're they're programming the programming into, and that's kind of like their um, their instrument essentially. Uh, and in my case, uh, I use SoftSense, so they're basically like emulators of. Um, some of those retro gaming systems. And um, I try and limit myself to just uh, like tones and instrumentation that is specific to the Nintendo Entertainment System. Like I don't really like go into like Atari or Genesis or a lot of the other uh, video game um, systems that, that were out there. Um, so like the, the music that I create has like a very uh, like very identifiable like quality to it like if, if you've played a lot of like old school nintendo um and then i basically just mix mix some of those tones in with uh like a 707 drum sample sampler and then um and then also like a couple of like random synthesizers that are kind of taken from like old old 80s kind of synth pop acts so um, so that's that's kind of how I arrived at, at my sound. And then as far as like actually writing the songs goes um, and listening to some of the, 
the podcast that you've done in the past where you're talking with musicians is not very different from um, some of the process that that I've heard you talk about on the show before where, um, you know, it, for me, it can come from like a dream that I have that can come from like sound sounds where, you know, I'm just out and about and I hear something that kind of like spurs an idea or, um, you know, if I'm like watching an old eighties movie and I hear uh, a soundtrack in there and there's like an element to that, that kind of like sparks something that I might want to try in a song, then, you know, any of those can kind of be like the, the genesis of like whatever the next track is that I'm going to work on. Um, but a, a lot of the times it, it's more of like a, an intuitive kind of process for me where, you know, I just kind of will sit down with an idea already in mind based on however many different kind of song stubs that I've recorded into my phone. Um, just like humming them or whistling them or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, so, so generally when I'm sitting down, I've already got kind of an idea in mind of like, you know, what general type of song I want to create. And sometimes it starts with a lead. Sometimes it starts with like, um, like a, a rhythm section. It just kind of depends on, you know, what, what the specific inspiration is for that track. I, I enjoy that you pull inspiration from lots and lots of places uh like the the found sounds and stuff i i hear them in the tunes sometimes it, and i feel like that's one of those little things in a song that makes a person smile like oh that you know i i enjoy that a lot yeah yeah i mean i i think it's important to really get out and, and away from like whatever genre you're creating in um and and really try and like step outside of that in order to, to bring new ideas in. Like a lot of the times I get flack from some of my peers because I don't go out of my way a lot um, to listen to um, the work that, you know, a lot of my peers are creating. Um, and some of that is, uh, well, actually most of it is just that, you know, I don't want to, to fall prey to like basically becoming like derivative where, you know, I'm basically like a copy of a copy of a copy. Like, I, w I would like to think that, you know, the stuff that I'm creating is, is like more, I guess, directly derived from like the 80s stuff that I grew up with and like some of the old school like video game stuff that I also grew up with. Um, so that's that's most of what I, I tend to listen to are, you know, some of those um, those 80s composers and, um, and synth acts um, when I'm looking for inspiration. So what what are some of your uh, first go-tos when it comes to, like, media when you want to be inspired or, you know, like, have an idea bouncing around in your brain? Yeah, I mean, it's it can come from, like, a bunch of different places. I try not to get too hung up on, like, the idea generation part of things. It's, like, one of those... One of those things where, you know, when you're, when you're not looking for it, I find is, is when it'll actually come to you. Um, but, you know, from like, a just kind of immerse, immersive point of view, like I'll, I'll typically watch a lot of like 80s films. Um, I'm specifically into a lot of like horror stuff, like the cheesier, the better generally, because that's where you'll find a lot of the, uh, you know, the synthesizer soundtrack tracks are a little bit more more entertaining just because a lot of the times they were being created on a low budget and 
you know, so it's just one guy that was sitting there at a synthesizer just plugging away at stuff as opposed to, you know, some of the, the um, compositions from from back in the day. They had like full orchestra arrangements and everything. Um, so, yeah, you know, I've, some of my favorite movies from the time are like The Thing and Blade Runner and uh, um, like Alien. Uh, there's so many different influences like Terminator um, is another big one for me. Um, but uh, I, I also just grew up with music in my house and like my uh, my family would watch a lot of like old school films too. Like we're talking like 1930s films uh, where, you know, I'm watching like The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn and uh, listening to the um, the Oscar um, I think it, I think it won an Academy Award, um, for the soundtrack, but like Eric Wolfgang Korngold, um, uh, he did the soundtrack for a bunch of movies, um, from that time. But I was a kid, I used to like, like prance around in like my Robin Hood costume, <laughs> like listening to, there was always, there was always like something going, going on in my house. And, um, I felt like my parents' job was exposing me to a lot of, a lot of like, and a lot of varied music that was from a lot of different eras, I guess. That's awesome. That's that's a great way to grow up. I think uh, it's it is important to be exposed to a lot of different things, especially forms of entertainment growing up, because sometimes you never know what's out there, and you can't just promise you're going to stumble upon it. That's that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I've had like a lot of great like musical influences in my life, and can kind of like point to different members of my family for having different. Uh, well, I guess having made their mark on me in different ways. Like for example, my my uncle um, was really influential to me because he's the one that introduced me to like David Bowie and Genesis, and um, trying to think who else. Uh, just a bunch of like, like eighties bands that I used to like crank in my car all the time after I was old enough to drive. And, and then my, my sister, like later on in life, she's actually three years younger than me, but, um, but she actually was had, she's always had better musical tastes than I, I have had, I, I think. And so she actually introduced me to a lot of, um, like, um, kind of, punk and hardcore bands and kind of like the late uh the late 90s like early 2000s that i wouldn't have otherwise come across so it was it was nice having like those different um those those different members of the family just kind of pushing me and challenging me and challenging me in different ways yeah that's that's definitely helpful uh, my dad sends me a lot of music. It's a, it's really funny. He's a, he's a bluegrass fan, and uh, he'll send me all kinds of bluegrass links and stuff. So I get I, I get some influence thrown at me from his direction every now and again. Um, nice. What is it about composing and arranging these bits of music that you enjoy most? Like, is that really where you zen out and do the thing and find the 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 happy part of this process? Um, I mean, I do enjoy like the composition aspect of things. I, I mean, and I'll, I'll kind of get into that in a little bit more detail in a second, but like, I mean, the, 
the part of, of music that I really enjoy the most is the live performance aspect of things. Like I, I do enjoy sitting, sitting down in front of a synthesizer or in front of the computer and, and writing and, and feeling the, you know, the endorphins when, you know, a song comes together in the right way and, uh, you, you come across like a solo part that you never would have imagined could really come out of you. Um, it's just kind of, you just kind of discover it. Um, or, you know, you're struggling with a particular bass line for a while and then suddenly like you change one or two notes around and, and like goes from being this song that you've been struggling with for the last two days to, like your favorite song that you've worked on in like the last couple of months. So, um, so that, I mean, that's definitely, um, you know, my favorite part of like the composition process, I would say is actually like writing, um, writing the music. Um, I'm not a big fan of like the mixing and the mastering part of the process. Like that's where my brain just kind of shuts down a little bit. Um, cause I'm just not wired that way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, live performance for me is really where it's at because I, I enjoy like the social component to like being in front of people and sharing my music and getting the, getting that feedback loop between me and the, the people that are in the crowd where, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a good time playing the music. They can feel that energy. And then I see them having a good time as a result of like, them seeing me on stage and it just kind of keeps going back and forth in this like reciprocal um loop so um that's that's really what it, what i i vibe out on the most um and it's one of the reasons why i i play um i play out like quite a bit um probably more than a lot of uh like other people and like my specific electric like my specific electronic subgenre So, where do you like to play? Uh, are we talking cities or well, like types of venues? Both. Or? Uh, you, you can answer that both ways because I'll, I, I would like to know both answers. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, for electronic music and the U.S., it's it's a little it's a little bit uh, different just because there's only certain cities that really have supportive scenes for that kind of music um and so it, those tend to be some of the, the larger cities um uh, i mean atlanta where i'm at now it has a pretty good electronic scene here um but i would say aside from atlanta like you've got uh i guess san francisco is a really great place to play um they they have an event out there called uh turbo drive that is supportive of a bunch of different like retro inspired electronic acts and they've been doing that event um out there at dna lounge for like years and years and years so they've got like this really great like fan base built up around the event itself and uh are really great about bringing in new acts from like around the world really um so that's that's you know one place that i've really enjoyed playing uh Portland, Oregon is another place that I've really enjoyed because they have a pretty strong um, sense scene there as well. Uh, and then I've also enjoyed playing in, in Brooklyn uh, just because they, they have like a really great uh, chiptune kind of like video game music scene there. Um, there's a lot of kind of old guard um, video game uh, musicians that are 
still in the like New York City area that uh, again are just very super they're super supportive people um, have come out for like multiple shows that that I played there so it was just it's really great like having them in the audience um, and then just getting the the kind of fan reaction that I've gotten there so um, other than that uh, uh, I've had the the pleasure to play. Um, at MAGFest, which is uh, a huge gaming convention that's held in uh, like the Baltimore area uh, every year. And uh, that's, that's probably like my, my, those have been my best experiences or my favorite experiences so far, just because the crowd that shows out for this um, music and gaming convention, um, it's, it's tailor-made for the type of music that I, I create, which is this blend of like video games, like nerdy kind of stuff. And then, um, and then, you know, just a, a little bit of like rock and, and, you know, high energy. Um, just, there's like a high energy fan base there. So it's a lot of fun playing that. I would imagine that's a very, uh, target rich environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great. Like, I mean, it really does feel like a family when I'm there and it's one of those events where, you know, every time I go there, um, I just, I wish that every event could be like that just because it's, it, it's one of those things where I, I show up there and it's like, oh, you know, these are my people. Like, it's so good to right. like have, have like that all around you. Yeah, I get that. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you can have that. That sounds like an awesome event. Um, the pictures I saw of you on stage recently, I think you look like you were having fun. Uh, I think you've posted a few to your Instagram. You definitely look like you were having fun. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, the pictures that you're referring to are from like this last MagFest, which is the event that I was just talking about. And, and that was my first time playing on like the main stage there, um, which was, you know, a pretty big deal for me. I think it was probably like the largest show that I've played to date um, in any of the projects that I've been in. Um, and uh it was it was really cool like being up there on stage but then what was even cooler is the fact that um i was able to partner up with a, a visualist on stage uh named drip and um I, I hadn't really met her before like the day of that event and so i, I really had no idea what to expect but <laughs> it was so much it was so much fun having her on stage with me because she was very high energy herself and and um she had come up with all these really cool like like background visuals that were themed around my my project and um i was joking with everybody like during the show like i got on mic and was telling everybody in the crowd that like i was having a hard time trying to pay attention to what i was actually playing and fighting the urge of just like turning around and looking at the the screen behind me to just watch what uh what visuals drip was displaying there so uh, <laughs> So yeah, that, it was just cool because that's like one of the first times in probably like four or five years uh, that I've been on stage with somebody else. Um, I've been in projects in the past where I was in full bands, and uh, but you know when I started this project, I kind of decided I wanted to do it solo just because it was easier to to schedule things and I didn't have to worry about like you know wrestling around different creative decisions um, sure. and. Uh, you know, by and large, it's been a, it's been a good experience because I've, I've had that, um, that creative control and I feel like I've been able to make, make watch out for snakes into what I want it to be. But, but there are times where I definitely miss like the camaraderie that you get 
from like being in a band and sharing that experience on stage with other people. Well, uh, yeah, I get that. I, I don't, you know, me when I live paint, it's, it's normally not with lots of other people. So if it's just me, that's pretty normal. If it's me plus two more people, that's pretty out there. If it's me plus like seven or eight other people, that's something I've never done. So I get yeah. that. I really do. Um, do you play any instruments other than the guitar, like analog instruments? Um, so I grew up playing piano, um, which is, you know, arguably the same thing as guitar. Um, it just, it, you know, different kind of mindset required for it, but, you know, essentially the same instrument. Um, uh, aside from that, like I played oboe in uh, middle school for a couple of years, but didn't really continue past like ninth grade with that. Um, the funny story behind that is that uh, originally in seventh grade, when I joined a uh, middle school band, I uh, really was interested in playing trumpet because that was like the cool instrument. You know, everybody wants to play brass and, and everything. And after about like the, I think it was maybe the second or third week where like I hadn't advanced beyond like being able to play the very first note that you were supposed to play. Um, like my my band director took me aside and said, Matt, like, I know that you really have your heart set on trumpet, but uh, you know, have you ever thought about oboe? And I, I was like, what what the hell is that? Like, right. I, don't, I don't know what what an oboe is. Like, this is marching band. Like, what what is that? And, and, uh, and so I just I kind of like begrudgingly took the oboe um, and and learned learned how to play that and. Um, my my kind of attitude towards it changed pretty pretty quickly when I realized that not only did I uh, like get a lot of the solos with, during like all of our our concerts and everything just because like the oboe is generally like one of the one of the solo instruments and in, like orchestra and everything but but in addition to that um, like because of the way that like where the oboe is normally situated you're sitting between like uh like the clarinet and the flute and uh there was a bunch of girls in middle school that were playing <laughs> playing in those sections so i was i was happy to be sandwiched like in between and like the front row with them yeah so, all of a sudden it, it, it wasn't so bad <laughs> yeah it, it ended up working out for me i got all i got all the solos and i got to hang out with all the girls so uh, um true rock yeah. star status <laughs> in middle school band yeah, I wouldn't go that far. Like, <laughs> like the the pinnacle was still uh, like playing in jazz band, um, and I even though I played piano, like most of like my um, my learning on piano had been like reading sheet music and spending a lot of time like like picking out the notes. Like I was never good at sight reading, um, and so like improvisation was not something that I was I was great at. So I have no idea what uh, what got into me to make me think that I would have a shot in hell at um, like actually auditioning and making it onto like or into the jazz band as like a, a jazz pianist uh, or the jazz keyboardist. But I, I went out and auditioned for it and like like went down and in flames. It was like <laughs> one of the more embarrassing mo one of the more embarrassing moments of my life. Um, like one of those 
times where you feel like the cold sweat, like, like beating on your forehead yeah. and you're like, Oh crap. Like, um, like they just set this, uh, sheet music down in front of me and they're asking me to basically like sight read it on the spot. And like, I have no idea how to play any of this stuff. <laughs> it was, it was bad, but, um, but yeah, uh, th- thankfully it didn't put me completely off from like performing music. Well, that's really good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so any, any other instruments outside the oboe and the piano? Um, so I own a guitar, uh, which I started to try and teach myself probably three or four years ago and just kind of like fell, fell off of it. Um, so it's, it's something I still want to pick back up and, and learn. Um, I actually have multiple guitars. I've got like an acoustic and then an, an electric. So I, it's kind of silly that I own them, but don't know how to play. So I'm, I want to rectify that one of these days, but, um, you know, time, time is difficult to find when you've got, um, you know, a bunch of stuff that you're working on and like your current musical project and then a bunch of other like shows that you're planning, um, you got coming up. So when you took your, uh, social media hiatus a couple of weeks ago, uh, did you have any sort of like goal of number of songs to write or anything like that? Did you have a primary goal going into that? Uh, really my only goal was just to try and carve out enough time in my day, like away from social media to actually um, be productive and, and write something. I, I didn't really go in with a specific goal in mind. And I, I mean, I really, it would have been great if I could have kind of like sketched out a song um, at least just kind of like rough something out. And, um, I didn't quite get there. Um, I ended up, I ended up basically like writing two songs. Um, and the reason I didn't end up doing that is because I, I liked those to where I had a hard time putting them down. Um, like I would kind of rough out, I think I roughed out the first two songs and rather than like, going like coming up with like these other keep coming back to these and and refine them and and get them to a point where i felt like they were really soft though so i mean it it was really productive because i felt like i hadn't had that type of focused time in a while to just sit down and and write stuff um so it was it was great being able to step away for from social media for that but uh you know, I'm a person that always kind of like bites off more than they can try to do lists are always like three times long as they really should be. So, um, so I kind of went into it like some lofty goals, but kind of like anticipating that I, I probably wasn't going to get, get as much done as I wanted to, um, songwriting wise. Well, that's fair. At least you understood that going in, but you still gave it, you know, a good try. Yeah. Um, yeah, it helps the limitations, I guess. Right. Uh, so normally I would ask people around here where I am, what it's like being a creative person in and around Knoxville, but you're not here. So what's it like being a creative person where you are these days? So I, I love Atlanta. Um, one of the reasons that, I can't imagine living in another city is because of the the music and arts community that we have here. 
Um, I've been in Atlanta since, uh, 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 I guess 2006. So what is that? Like 15 years now. Yeah. Um, I guess 15, 16 years now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I really enjoy it here. Like, um, I've gone to visit a bunch of different places. I've had the chance to like tour, um, uh, through a lot of different cities. The reason why I always like coming back to Atlanta is because we're, we're, we've got kind of like a smaller, um, music community here. Uh, but because it's, it's this great mix between having enough people within a particular kind of subgenre, like electronic music to actually be able to put together some decent shows and, and have this lineup of artists for a lot of those shows. Um, but it's also not so large that you kind of get lost in the mix. So, um, when there are like major headlining artists that are touring through Atlanta, it's relatively easy to, to try and petition to support, support them as like a local act, um, here. Um, and, uh, at least in, in my genre, um, what's been nice is that everybody who I've run into, um, playing music here, um, and performing with them has just been like really great, honest, like upstanding people, like nothing about it is cutthroat. Um, it's not like, uh, you versus everybody else type scenario. Everybody really kind of like bands together to try and like, um, like raise everybody else up. So, so that's one of the things that I, um, you know, I, I think I would really miss if I moved to a different, a different city. Um, just cause I, I have so many great like musician and artist friends here that are interested in trying to collaborate with each other and like just want to see everybody else do well. And yeah, you know, there may be some moments where you know, people get a little bit like jealous that, you know, somebody got like on a particular like concert bill that they, they wanted to get on, but like, it's not never anything where there's like super bad blood or whatever. Like everybody's pretty, pretty happy. Like just anytime that like somebody in our scene gets raised up and, um, and, and has an opportunity. So, um, I, I wouldn't say that that's, that's been my experience like in other cities that I've, tra- I've traveled to. And that may just be because I'm an out of towner in those cities and, and you know, I, I haven't been there or I'm never there for long enough to really like make a, a solid assessment about things. But, um, but I do feel like Atlanta kind of fits into like this, this middle ground where it's a large enough city where we've got, um, you know, a lot of touring acts that are coming through um, to kind of sustain the the community on like a national level. But then we've got like a really strong local scene that um, that really supports each other. That's amazing. I feel like you don't get that everywhere. <clears throat> that's that's a gem of a of a thing. Yeah, well, like I, I'm just curious because I've got you here. Like, what? So, what is your impression of the Knoxville music scene? Oh man, it's it's busy. Um, Knoxville has a lot of live music, and it's really proud of itself for having a lot of live music. 
And, um, you know, uh, I've got a buddy of mine that's playing two nights this weekend. And I know other people in other bands that have gigs coming up, you know. Like, the people in my life that are giving music a serious shot here in Knoxville are playing gigs, you know. Like, they're getting money and they're playing music and enjoying themselves. They're they're eating good, you know. So, it's awesome. Um, That being said, you know, there's a ton of places where one can play music in Knox County. So, um you know, there, there are a lot of opportunities to get on a stage or to get in front of people, and that's great. Uh, but I don't I don't feel as if the visual art community has as much representation, which is kind of why I like to feature a lot of visual artists. Not that uh, musicians obviously don't have a place here because we're talking right now. It's, it's definitely something I want to talk to people about. But, uh, you know, I feel like there are more, more stages to perform on than there are walls to hang your art on, so... I like talking to visual artists a lot because I am one and I'm seeking those walls as well. Um, so that's kind of an uphill battle sometimes. But the music scene yeah. is great to I, your original question. Yeah, I feel like that's always the struggle, right? Because like visual arts has like this, like there's like a duality to it where it's like for a double-edged sword where it's, it's great because it's something tangible that people can and like um in, in some ways that um at times but but because it's tangible the physical space to to be able to display and and actually like um expose people to um to so um yeah i would imagine that that creates like some just some different challenges like it does uh, and listening to some of the previous the previous podcast that you done, I know like one conversation came up around like, you know, the value, the value of music versus like the value of, of like visual art. I, I always, I, I'm always just like really like, uh, interested and, in, you know, like in that conversation, because it, it is, it is something that musicians see like everywhere. Um, but I, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's just interesting to me how people kind of approach like, like the value of like a creative work and you know, how they think about um, like the value that that has um, with them. And my experience at least has been that, yeah, you know, people may not be willing to shell out, um, you know, money for like just a track itself. But, but if you offer them something tangible, like a, like a vinyl record or like a cassette tape, then suddenly it's got, it's got something like, like physical to it and and it's it's more of an art piece almost rather than rather than just like this sound that's kind of floating around in the ether so right um, i i much prefer in this way that i buy a physical object with a digital counterpart instead of the other way around you know because you can advertise it either way i would much rather buy a, a, a vinyl than or I would rather buy vinyl with a digital download so I can listen to it in a way I want to listen to it in my home, but I can also, you know, have it on my phone and I can play it in the car, you know, whatever. Uh, sure. That yeah, utility I, I definitely, is nice. Yeah. I definitely think that that's, that's what it comes down to. Like a lot of people try and make it them or like a versus B type thing. And I, I don't think that that's what it is so much. I think it's more that like, it's not that people don't value music. It's just they've, they've become more accustomed to having lots of options available to them. 
And so like when you're, you're offering a product in that space, I feel like it's, it's important to make sure that you're offering them, um, you know, the options that they're, um, where you're able to like reach them, like where, where they want to listen to the music as opposed to just saying like, Oh, well, I'm only going to do digital or I'm only going to do vinyl or I'm only going to do this or that. Like that's, you know, people, people want to be able to connect with you, but like they want to be able to do it in a way that is like, you know, meaningful for them, I guess. Yeah. And, and if I can make an analogy to, you know, looking at a painting, uh, a, a lot of artists make stuff that means one thing to them, but applies no context to the art on display. And then, you know, whatever somebody sees in that piece of art when they're viewing it was brought to the viewing experience by the viewer. And, and I think it's important in art to leave space for that experience to, to be had. Yeah. I think that's where like some of the most interesting parts of the conversation happen, honestly. So I'm, I mean, I'm glad that you brought that up because I definitely feel that and, and music as well. Like I try and leave things open-ended, which is, it's easier for me to do that since like most of my work is instrumental. Like I, there's no lyrics for people to like necessarily like read into and in different ways. So it's, it's even more kind of like open to interpretation in terms of like how, how people want to kind of, you know, like just relate to my music. It, it's easier for me when I listen to your music to find the, the groove, the metaphorical groove in the tune. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's one of those moments where you're going down the road and like your arms hanging out the window and you got one hand on the wheel and you're bobbing your head to the song. And then you realize you're doing all those things. Mm -hmm. And then I look down at the speedo and I'm doing 85 and I'm like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> uh, but you quick, quick look, quick look in the rear view mirror to make sure that there's not sirens and flashing lights yeah, behind you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm happy that you make an instrumental music for that reason, because in that way, I sort of like stumbling into, into the music, you know, obviously you're driving the car, so your mind's elsewhere doing the thing. And then all of a sudden the thing isn't so intense and you can like settle into the music that's in the environment in the car. And it's awesome. Uh, it's, yeah. I listen to yeah, a lot of music I'm, in the car. I drive around a lot. So that's that's a lot of uh, time for me, for my unconscious mind to just like play with ideas and enjoy music or, you know, just be sort of still and quiet for a little while and just let it do its thing. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's good to get that kind of feedback because I'm always curious about like, you know, when I'm looking at different um, like platform statistics, so like if I'm on Spotify and I'm looking to see like, Oh, I've got like, you know, like, like 30 listeners in Knoxville say, like, I'm always curious, like, huh, what are those 30, what are those 30 listeners in Knoxville doing when they're listening to my music? And like, what's the, what's the context around things? You don't, you don't always like, you don't always get the full story right, around, around stuff when you're just looking at those metrics. So it's like meaningful to me to like go onto like my band camp site and then read some of the reviews that people are leaving on like the albums where they're, they're really sharing with me, like what, what the music means, means to them. Cause like you were saying, that's like the, that's like the, the extra piece, you know, obviously like I wrote the music with a specific idea in mind of what it means to me. But, um, but like I said, I try and leave things open to interpretation so that, you know, uh, other people can kind of attribute like their own meaning to it. And so it's really cool. Like 
reading kind of after the fact to see like what different people were, were feeling at a, a time um, when they, they heard one of my songs and it may be something completely different than, than what I was feeling when I wrote it. But yeah, um, that's part be. of, yeah, that's part of what makes music so cool to me. Yeah. There's a th- the, the expression thousand ways to skin a cat is one of my favorites because I feel like this is one of those scenarios where the the novelty of life and, and being alive in this life and time that we have now, like you can stumble into anything, anywhere, anytime. And uh, I feel as if most often that is a luxury. Like I was listening to a playlist of, of similar stuff to yours when I discovered your music. And for some reason to my ear, your stuff stood out. So I, you know, looked down, hit the heart button, went back to it like the next day or whatever. And I just listened to the whole thing, all, all the songs you have on Spotify. But I just put it on in the house and went about my daily business. And that was just the soundtrack to my house for, I don't know, three, four hours, whatever it was till I, till I turned it off. But yeah, that that's some shit that happens when I'm listening to your music. I'm doing whatever I need to do in my house creative wise. Uh, because my creative efforts aren't strictly confined to my studio. Sometimes I'll be out here like with my, you know, feet propped up on the couch or whatever, sketching out some stuff on a stretch canvas that I'm going to go paint on in better lighting. <laughs> and that's, that's a, I've had this conversation with a couple of people over the last couple of weeks, but like I always get jealous of visual artists because you guys can kind of multitask a little bit. Like when you're, when you're like doing your creative work, like I, there've been so many times where like, I, I want to be able to like, put on put on music or like or look at something um like while i'm while i'm working on my own music but you can't multitask that way when when um you know you're you're working on a song um in the same way that that you might be able to like if if you're working on something in the visual arts like field you know what i've never thought about that but you're totally right (laughs) and i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) uh I, i would have um if I couldn't do that, it would alter my creative process in some way. I don't know how, but it would definitely be different. Um, I like to listen mm-hmm. to a lot of different electronic music. Like I'll listen to um, drum and bass. I'll listen to side trance. I'll listen to uh, things similar to yourself. You know, it's kind of all over the board and mostly instrumental. So that that kind of thing is really the the. I don't like it's not background music technically because it's important and I choose to listen to it when I have it when I'm doing these things like it's an active part of the process the music I choose when I'm when I choose to listen to music so yeah I mean you're not gonna offend me by by like like saying that about my music because like that's honestly where I developed the relationship that I have with like a lot of like the, the music that ended up influencing me because I was I was in school um, and needed study music and like putting something instrumental on. And generally it ended up being like a, like video game soundtrack or something just allowed me to, to kind of appreciate it, but without it being so distracting with me out of like whatever I was currently. So, um, so I, I had to create and, and just put those on loop and, you know, ended up developing these relationships with a lot of these songs over time because I was just like listening to them so much and they basically became like the sound for my life for those couple of years. So, um, I mean, I, 
I'm never, I'm never like offended by somebody that says like, oh yeah, you know, I had your stuff on background while I was doing something else. Cause like, I mean, that, that to me is, is, is another way of, of relating to, relating to the music. Well, awesome. I'm, I'm glad you have that point of view. That's a, uh, I think that's a very comforting way to think about it. I hadn't, I honestly hadn't thought about it that way. Um, let's see. What, um, do you want to talk like technical aspects of your workflow, like softwares, file formats, programs, things like that? I mean, so, I mean, most of the work that I, uh, the, the DAW uh, Logic Pro X is what I use to do all of the arranging. Um, there's a soft thing that I use, like I mentioned before, that basically emulates a lot of the those old school video game sounds. It's called like float chip sounds. Um, and uh, it's pretty neat because it, it does emulate a lot of those sounds pretty accurately. Um, the, the issue with, with doing it that way and, and not on like the analog hardware itself um, like, so, you know, actually programming on a Game Boy or like using a like tracker software, which is how like chiptune artists will typically, um, make chiptune music. Uh, the, the drawback to not doing it that way is, is that, um, like you're not subject to as many of the hardware limitations that you would be if you were making it on the actual like Game Boy or an actual Nintendo um, there's just certain like sound characteristics that um, the soft sense are not able to like replicate. And then there are certain effects that are more difficult to carry off in like a soft sense environment um, than in like a, uh, like an analog uh, kind of environment. So, um, so it can be a little bit challenging at times when you're trying to replicate, you know, uh, a specific sound or effect that, that, it's typically pretty easy to do in tracker software, um, but um, but because you're not doing it in tracker software, it's just it's just it's just harder to do. So, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much it as far as like the hardware goes. Um, when I perform live, I perform with a, a keytar. Um, it's a Roland AX1. Um, uh, I got my first Roland AX1 off of eBay back in like 2003 when I was like playing in a hardcore band, actually. Um, we were like a melodic hardcore band and I thought that it would be a, a fun hook to, to kind of get me out in the crowd and in the mosh pit and everything actually like untethered me from a keyboard stand. So, um, so I ended up ordering this guitar online and, um, had that same guitar up until like three or four years ago. Um, and you know, I'd had to make like different electronic repairs to it over time, but, um, it, it eventually like started to like fritz out enough to where, um, I, I ended up having to get a, a new version of that model. But, um, but I've played with that same model of guitar for so long that, um, I'm pretty familiar with how to, how to set it up in, in a way that allows me to, you know, change between different patches pretty easily in the middle of songs and like, you know, trigger, trigger my songs to start and stop. Um, cause when I'm performing live, I'm essentially, um, performing to a backing track. Um, 
and uh, that backing track generally has like all the lead lines cut out of it um, so that like you know those are the parts that I'm, I will end up playing live but um, but yeah that's that's the other part of, of playing music other than like the social media stuff that I, I really dislike is is actually sitting down and figuring out how I'm going to arrange a song for live performance because um, the the trouble with electronic music um, is that it's very easy to sit down and write a full song without ever having to think about like the repercussions of like how you're going <laughs> to perform it live. So you can come up with some like really badass stuff and then uh, you sit down to try and like actually figure out how you're going to play those parts live and it can be really challenging um, either because it requires more like technical skill than you have when actually like playing keyboard or just because you've got like three or four different lead lines happening there and so it's just like like virtually impossible for you to to actually play um, even if you were playing with both hands and, and were a virtuoso so um <laughs> So yeah, challenging times in the past. Trying, to, all right, I've got like this really complicated song here. Which parts during this part of the song am I actually going to play, and which parts am I not? Um, so it can take a little while to try and and figure out how to not only adapt the song for live performance, but also how to adapt it to the guitar, because uh, you know the guitar only has so many registers available on it, and uh, you know, the way that I, I kind of program the guitar, um, and a lot of, a lot of my songs, each register kind of corresponds to a different, a different sound so, or a different tone. So like when I'm performing live, I may be kind of like moving down or up an octave, um, on, on the keyboard, depending on which octave I'm in, different sound. So, so, so I, I kind of turns into a little bit of like a math puzzle almost where I'm trying to figure out like, okay, well, I, I need to have like four or five notes to play this particular part, like with this particular instrument. I need to find an area of the keyboard that is not currently taken up with another instrument to like be able to, to play this, this one part. And so you kind of have to, it's like a jigsaw puzzle where you're trying to figure out like how to, how to make everything fit so that you can actually play all the parts live that you want to play. So, um, so that, that can take some time actually trying to figure all of that out. Um, I find that that takes, that takes more time, um, uh, to figure out how to arrange it on the guitar than it does to actually learn the part itself. Um, cause a lot of what I'm playing, it's not, not that complicated. Um, it's, it's more just trying to like figure out like how it's all programmed in. So that's more of that secondary work you make for yourself <laughs> on accident by making the thing you want to work on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that, that, that's the thing is that like, I mean, when I'm writing, I really try and write in like a very like free way where I'm, I'm never really thinking about like, well, could I actually perform in this live or not? Um, so it's, it, it, it can be freeing um, in some ways, but I also told myself early on that I didn't want to be one of those guys that just kind of like pushes play while I'm up on stage. Um, and, and so, um, a lot of the times it, it, it does end up really challenging me because I may write a part it, in the studio that is kind of beyond my, my playing ability. And then when it comes time to actually like arrange it for live performance, I have to, I have to actually like train up to, 
to, to be good enough to play it live. So, um, so it's, it's, it's a good way to kind of keep myself on my toes, I guess. So you enjoy that pressure and like pushing your boundaries in that way? I do. Um, I mean, I, I don't enjoy like the arrangement, like the technical arrangement aspect of it, but I do enjoy like the, the performance challenge of it where like I know what parts I need to play. I've already got everything programmed into the key guitar. It's more just a matter of like playing it enough times to where, where I can, I can do it consistently. And, um, and, and that's where like, you know, a lot of my kind of like punk hardcore background comes into play because I've, I've always had this mindset where it's less about how well you play a part and like, and more about like how much attitude and how much feeling you can bring to that part. So like I'm I'm always less concerned with whether whether I hit a couple of wrong notes and more concerned with like well did I have the right energy and did I did I you know was I throwing down and like really kind of helping hype the crowd up and get make them feel like they're they were a part of that that experience because um, I've I've always that's just always what I've appreciated when I'm in the crowd like I I don't. I, I almost appreciate it more if I see somebody flub a couple of notes because then that that's giving me an experience that's different from like the studio recording, um, and it, it lets me know, hey, you know what I'm what I'm receiving is something that nobody else will will ever hear. You know, it's something special that's like unique to this one performance, and um, it, it, I feel like it, it helps kind of bridge. Um, uh, it, it just helps you it helps you bond with with whoever's performing as a fan, in my opinion, you feel like you have like a, a special connection that you're like sharing something a little bit, um, you know, special. Well, I guess at that point, like the veil of immortality or idolatry or whatever's been broken because, you know, obviously they messed up their human. And then that makes room for that connection to grow, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's always how I've seen it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm always less interested with somebody that like plays it, perfectly um than than somebody who like plays it imperfectly but does it with style i guess <laughs> hey style points count they definitely count yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure style points count um what um do you work with visual artists for your artwork for your for your music or do you find things you like and fold it in how do how do how do you figure out what what images you want to represent your music yeah um so it it just kind of depends from from like album to album um like i knew that when i i started this project like one of the ideas that i had for like the album concept was like on my first album upgrade was that it was going to be like like the soundtrack to a video game that never really got made um or you know just kind of like an imaginary video game and so i've always been really inspired by like the old school konami games like castlevania and contra and like life force and um the visual um identity for a lot of like those uh video game covers uh used like the same template like time and time again and so it had like a very like distinct like visual brand to to it all and and so that's something that i knew i wanted to do going into like that first album from like a an album cover perspective and um um 
for that that album i already had kind of like the concept in mind of you know what the what the album overall um meant to me and like what the uh kind of themes were through it and so when i was working with the um the illustrator uh at the time i just kind of pitched to her like what the what the album meant to me and and everything and just kind of let her interpret that visually and um that's that's how we came up with the the cover art for upgrade um scars and and fight those invisible ninjas um like I didn't have those concepts as concretely in mind when I went and started like collaborating with those visual artists. So, um, it was really more those, those covers, those covers ended up being more their interpretation of the music itself. And then like, I ended up kind of like retro retro fitting some of the themes based on like some of the visuals that they ended up, creating so so there there was a little bit of like back and forth there where like you know they were getting inspiration from the music that i had written and then i was like getting inspiration um from the visuals that they had done to kind of help inform the the final narrative that like the album was was kind of exploring um and and i'm, I'm kind of following a similar process for like this current album that i'm working on uh where you know i'm just kind of collaborating with as an illustrator and we're I've got got like most of the songs written already and have shared that with him and and he's in the process of you know just kind of like concepting some ideas and then there's some back and forth as we're just kind of saying like oh well you know we could do this or this and so it's it's more of a dialogue I guess um but at the end of the day like I'm I always pick illustrators whose work I respect and and who I trust to to do a good job. Um, and so I, I know that no matter what they end up doing, I'm going to be happy with it, which like allows me to just kind of let them have free reign and, and kind of inject their own creativity into whatever that, that final album art ends up being. I like that you allow that space for that conversation between the art and the music. I appreciate that as a visual artist. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's my, my biggest fear is that you know, ever want anybody to feel they're working on a project with me that to work on where it's like a total drag and like they they're like not looking forward to having to sit down and, and actually work on this I always want them to to be able to expose through it so that, that like they've gusted basically they're just invested in like the project to the same degree that I am right. so like that's where where like true creativity happens that's that's definitely a good place for creativity to happen for sure i agree um matt i've had you for about i've had you for a little over an hour now i'm gonna i'm gonna talk us out here in a minute but uh since i didn't ask you to do it at the top of the show will you tell us where to find your glorious music on the old internets sure um if you're into streaming um my my music's everywhere it's on like all the streaming platforms so like spotify apple music um title like all, all those different platforms wherever wherever you you like to, to get streaming music um but if you really want to support me um and make sure that you know the, the most money is, is going to um like the musician uh you can catch me on Bandcamp, and that's uh 
watch out for snakes, the band.bandcamp.com. I've got like all, all my albums up there available. Um, I've got like a bunch of like shirt designs available there too. Um, and then some of the, each album is available on different merch. I've got like a, a vinyl release. I've also got like a cassette out. Um, and, uh, and then loose of the band camp, like some, some covers and, and things like that that you can't find on any of the streaming platforms. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's probably the best place to find me is, is Bandcamp. And then you can also, if, if, if you're also looking to, to see like where, where I'm going to be playing, whether I'm going to be playing near, near you guys anytime soon, then like Bandcamp also like has a, um, like a tour feed there. So it'll, it'll show like my upcoming shows there, um, in the sidebar. So that's another, another good source of information. Nice. Glad to hear that. Um, do you have, since we're in the middle of that a little bit, do you have any shows soon? Anything people should look out for in the next, you know, late spring, early summer? Yeah, what's exciting is, um, uh, well, so I've got two two major things. I'm going to VGM Con, which is in like the Twin Cities area. So like Minnesota, um, uh, that's happening in like early April. Uh, and I'm excited for that because I've never been to VGM Con before. But, it, it, I'm, you know, it's going to be a bunch of like nerds that geek out over like video game music getting together and and like sharing, sharing music with each other. And there's going to be a bunch of fans there probably like dressed up as different video game characters and dancing around and having fun. So, so that, that'll, that'll be a, a solid time. And then, um, what I'm, what I'm super, super excited about is that I'm actually going on my first, like, like full U S tour, um, in like the May, June timeframe. So, um, I'm going to be flying out to San Diego and then setting out from San Diego with two other artists named Street Cleaner and Morris Black, um, who are, are good friends of mine. And uh, we're going to basically like make our way by van um, up the, the West Coast and then like over to the Midwest and basically like over to like the New England area, cut, cut our way down and like back over through the South. So um, there's a bunch of dates that are up right now that you can find um, on Bandcamp that uh, correspond to um, correspond to that tour. So, um, chances are we're, we're playing, you know, pretty close. I'm looking now to see whether we've got like a, a Tennessee date. I'm not sure that we do. Um, but I know that we will be playing in like Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, that's not a far drive for me. Yeah. I, I think that's about the closest that, that we'll get to the Knoxville area, but, um, but yeah, we, we've got a bunch of dates up there. So if, if you're traveling around at the time, you know, definitely look and see whether you're going to be at the same place that I'm at at that time. And would love to, would love to meet people and, and see people out in the crowd. So. Yeah, I would definitely like to see you. So if we can cross the path that way, I would, uh, I'll try to make it happen. Um, awesome. As, as for now, I, I really appreciate your time and being kind enough to answer a question that was tossed into the ether, as it were. And, uh, man, I hope you have a good rest of your evening. And like I said, I really do appreciate your time. Uh, this is Matt Baum of Watch Out for Snakes. And I'm Thomas Zachary. And this has been the KAAMP. Uh, if you wish to support the podcast, you can do the thing that is available in Anchor. You can listen to my ads if you care not to skip through them. Um, you can buy physical art from the twisted wrist aka me 
Or you can uh, share the podcast and tell people they need to put it in their ear holes because they do. Uh, But thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.